Aren't you thankful for our college ministry? Amen. Wonder, wonderful job. Praise the Lord. Uh, if you taped or, or videoed that, would you put that on uh, Facebook and tag me? Uh, I've got a lot of preachers. You know, I, I look for younger people to be dumb. You're, you're really, that's how young people are. They're dumb. Uh, they're, they, they've got a lot of energy, but they're dumb. And when we get older, we, we get a little smarter. We just don't have any energy left. And uh, that's why the church is everybody together. But uh, I, I cannot get over the number of preachers my age that think that patriotism has nothing to do in the church. I, I mean, so, so if you did that, tag me and just fill the Internet up with that. I didn't have a chance to do it. But hopefully somebody here got that. Did you get it? Has somebody up there got it? Well, we're going to have to do it again then. <laughs> All right. I, I praise God. Uh, you know, I was thinking about building for eternity. I, we've got five or six kids that already have their banks full and have come and asked for another bank. And uh, next Sunday is the in-gathering day, all of the month of November. Is Thank you, Jesus, for just being so good. And uh, I, w I was thinking about, I, I had the same question asked me again this week. I have it asked probably, I, I don't know. I, I just guarantee you it's asked all the time. And it comes out of the Bible. Anytime anybody thinks they've got something out of the Bible, they think they've got something on the preacher. If I can quote a scripture to him now. And had one this week say, Preacher, in Luke, he's not a member of this church, but he's heard all about us. He said, Preacher? And I said, Yes. <laughs> he said, Luke 14, 28 says that you're to count the cost before you build a building. And I said, Really? See, I don't interpret that at all like that. He said, oh, yeah, I just tried to lead him on. Oh, yeah, here it is. Who sits down to build a building without considering the cost? And I said, you do believe in total scripture, don't you? You believe the Bible's inerrant? I said, you need to go back three or four chapters and learn what's going on before you get to that count the cost. Because what's happened is Jesus has got a big crowd following him. And he knows that about half of them not worth the paper they're written on. And so he begins to call him out. He said, look, if you're not going to deny me and take up your cross and follow me, you, you probably need to go on home and read the Sunday paper and relax and go on your way. And then it gets a little closer. And, and when he's talking about counting the cost, he's talking about getting in. Now, if you're here this morning and you're lost without Jesus and you're not saved, let me tell you something. You need to count the cost before you do. Because if you think you're going to come down and get saved and then go on your merry old way, your same lifestyle, you're wrong. Because I want to tell you, Jesus changes everything. But now you listen to me. Once you're saved in the kingdom of God, it don't matter what it costs anymore. If God said do it, we do it. It don't matter what it costs. Just go ahead. Forget what it costs. We've already counted the cost before we ever got saved. I was thinking about these veterans down here. They counted the cost before they signed up to go fight in World War I or, or II or, or, or wherever, get in the Army period. They counted the cost. Can you imagine one of them in Vietnam under heavy fire, stand up in the pulpit and say, wait a minute, 
We need to count the cost. It looks like there's more of them than there are of us. Let's stop. No, you counted the cost before you ever got in. Once you're in, it's all for all. And I'm telling you, once you get into Jesus and Jesus gets into you, it don't matter what it costs. It's amazing to me how we will, will, will do anything for our children or grandchildren, especially our grandchildren. I don't know what great-grandchildren is like now, bless God. It, it even gets even worse. We'll do anything. But did you know? That if you don't love the Lord more than you love your grandchildren, your grandchildren are an idol to you. God, we need to love our grandchildren. We should love our grandchildren. But I tell you, that ought to come second to God. Ought to come second to God. I won't charge you for that. But look in Colossians chapter 3, if you would. I appreciate so much uh, the college ministry here and these college kids have been so faithful and Man, I just want you to know, we love you. I love you. I'm looking forward. When I look into this college department over here, my heart just jumps a beat. Because all people are saying, man, it's just going bad. It's getting worse. It's getting worse. And I'm sitting here saying, no, we got some soldiers of the Lord in that college. It's not getting worse. It's getting better. It's getting better. I praise the Lord for it. Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 5. Colossians verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 5. We pick up, uh, we, we did the first four verses Wednesday night, and now we pick up verse 5. Would you stand please in honor of God's holy, inspired, inerrant, all-sufficient word? Bible says, Colossians 3, verse 5, Mortify, put to death, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. And he lists them, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. In the which ye also walked some time when ye lived in them. But now ye also put off all these. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that you put off the old man with his deeds. Verse 10, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Wherefore, there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Hallelujah. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Father, thank you this morning how we've been blessed from the very first moment that we entered into this worship center. And I pray, Lord, that what has started will continue on, that your Holy Spirit would guide us through these scriptures. You will speak to hearts. God, there are people in this place uh, that some of them think they need a better job. Some of them think they need a different spouse. But, Lord, what they need is a touch of Jesus and the Holy Ghost on their life. And I pray before they leave this place today, you'll fall fresh on this place. God, you'll, you'll lift yourself up and we will glorify and, and just praise your holy name. And thank you in advance for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Thirty years ago, a plus, over that now, there was a book written. I'm sure many of you have read it. It's called Dress for Success. 
interesting book, sold very well. You can still get it today. Uh, and uh, it provides interview, uh, little things, confidence boosters and all of that, career development. Uh, and uh, it's, a, it's a non-for-profit organization, Dress for Success, to try to help you uh, go into an interview and impress somebody. Uh, our our, our uh, society today is fashion crazed. I mean, they're just, they're just about as crazy as anything I've ever seen. Uh, uh, one of our deacons had a copy of Sports Illustrated, uh, the swimsuit edition, and I happened to glance at it, and uh, uh, I thought, you know, <laughs> oh, I'm just joking with you, part of it anyway. Uh, <laughs> I thought to myself, there's not enough clothes on there to bridle a mule. Who in the world would leave a house looking like that? I mean, now, now I, women, don't get me wrong. I love women. I think they're the spice of life. Thank God they're not all men. Thank God. Hallelujah. But I just want to be honest with you. You wear something like that down on the street, it's a wonder you hadn't got raped before you got off the first block. Uh, if you don't know anything about how men operate, we're my, uh, eye sensitive. Women are not, but men are. And uh, I don't know what that has to do with anything. But anyway, we need to dress for success. And Paul is telling us here in Colossians chapter 3, how do you dress up? I never will forget that atheist that died. He was about 30 years old. A vowed atheist. It just gave people fits, especially one dear old lady in that church. He gave her fits. Had a heart attack and died about 30 years old. They were there at the funeral, and he's all dressed up in a suit. And a little old lady from the church came by, and she looked at him, and she said, Tiss, tiss, all dressed up and nowhere to go. <laughs> Folk, I tell you, not only are we dressed if we follow what Paul is telling us here in Colossians 3, we've got a place to go. I told the group at Arabella this morning when I was preaching, you know, to me, heaven would be sitting down and eating chicken and dumplings and gizzards and never getting full. Never gaining weight, never getting full. As good as that sounds to me, according to the Word of God, I had not seen nor ear had heard what the Father has in store. I mean, it's going to be better than anything we could ever describe. So not only do we need to be dressed, we've got somewhere to go. We've got somewhere to go. Now, in order to do that, first of all, we must put off the corruption of sinful man. And he mentions all of those things there. He uses rather strong language here. He said put off, or uh, he says mortify, which literally means put to death. Uh, if you're an Andy Griffin fan, it would be nip it. Nip it in the bud is what Barney would say. Uh, but literally, you're to put it to death. You're to kill it. Don't have anything to do with it. That is, because here's the deal. The, the great Puritan Richard Baxter wrote this. Use sin as it will use you. Spare it not. For if, you, if it will not spare you. It, it is your murderer and the murderer of your world. Use it as a murderer should be used. Kill it before it kills you. What he's saying there is, if you let sin into your life, and you habitually practice that sin, that sin will end up killing you. That sin will be your destruction. So there's a reminder of a sinful behavior. We're exhorted to put to death or kill the sinful man. 
Paul details a graphic list, verse 5, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. All of these sins characterize man in his sinful and depraved nature. Uh, He's not a sinner because he sins, but he sins because he's a sinner. Now, if you don't believe that, you just go down here to the hall here, this little place we call the nursery down here. And you can watch those four-months-old fight over the same toy. There'll be 30 other toys out there, but they want the toy that the other kids got. You won't have to teach them how to bite. You won't have to teach them how to scream. You won't have to teach them how to be ugly and grab it away from them and, and run off with it. They already know that. How do they know that? Because they're born in a sinful nature. That's how they know that. So these types of sin characterize man in his sinful and depraved nature. Uh, Immorality, the sins of immorality. He talks about fornication, uncleanness. Uh, Fornication comes from the word that we get our English word, pornography, from. It literally takes in the whole spectrum of immoral sexual relationships, like fornication and adultery and homosexuality and incest and all of those. And you say, preacher, I'm, I'm involved in those and I can't break those. That's the devil telling you that. I'm telling you, we just heard the young lady saying, there's no sin too filthy that God can't make worthy. I'm telling you, I don't care what you're mixed up in right now this morning. The grace of God is bigger than anything you're in. And he literally, through the grace of God, will save you through the blood of Jesus Christ. Then he talks about the the sins of impurity, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence. That word better uh, rendered unnatural affection or evil desire. It talks about moral indecency or filth and lust. And then he talks about the sins of idolatry, covetousness. In fact, Paul takes the time to list covetousness as a sin of idolatry. The word covetousness comes from two words, desire and have more. And so when we covet, we desire to have more. Uh, And uh, however, why you would think would covetousness characterize idolatry? Well, see, most of us in this place think idolatry has something to do with bowing down to a little doll or a little idol. But that's, that's just the basic level. Covetousness is idolatry. Because it gives man supreme allegiance to the possessions of life rather than to the king of kings. I want to tell you, if you're being blessed this morning, be very careful. Listen to me, be very careful. Thank God for the blessings of God. But listen, if if you're not careful, you'll begin to worship the blessings more than the blesser. Be very careful that you remember those blessings didn't come because you worked hard or because you did this or you did that or your education was better or you got a better break. Those blessings came because God just had grace and mercy on you. Every good and perfect gift comes from above is what the Word of God says. So when a person, Luke uh, 12, 15, Jesus said, Take heed, beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the things and the abundance which he possesses. In other words, you have anything you want to. That's not lie. That can all leave in a New York minute. Just like that. When a person desires more goods, he's probably not going to desire more God. I've heard that statement mentioned three or four times in the last week or so. Uh, I've got all of Jesus I want. And that's really the truth. I mean, Jesus is here ready to do anything we want him to do. 
He desires to have us completely. But the problem is we've got all of him we want. Amen? Or oh me. Hmm. Anytime something consumes a person's passion to the point that it becomes a driving force in their life, then it's a matter which has taken the rightful place of God. I'll never forget uh, the first church I pastored down in Port Natchez. Uh, I, I mean, it, if you lived in, in the Golden Triangle, Keith is here, he'll know that. There's several of you. Uh, you either had a beach house or you had a lake house. And everybody in my church, I had one of the two. And they say, now preacher, we're, we're going to, God's blessed us and we're going to buy this beach house. But I want you to know right up front, we're going to go up on Friday night. We're going to come back Saturday night. We're not going to place, take place of God church. And that lasted about three or four months until mm, they just got, in fact, my wife and I, we went with this couple. They said, oh, you've got to come. We, I mean, we're just kids. We think of having a, having a lake house on Toledo Bend, buddy, that's big. That's big. We went up there with that couple. We got there about, I don't know, 5.30, 6 o'clock. It was almost dark. He pulled out lawnmowers. We mowed until it got dark. And then we mowed the next morning. And it's time to get ready to go home. I thought, what have I got into? I, th- this, ain't, this ain't the life. All you do is come up here and mow. So, so we bought a travel trailer. And we'd pull up and let somebody else do the mowing. Uh, <laughs> I want to tell you, if you're not careful, you'll let those kinds of blessings rob you of the real meaning of God and the fellowship with God. I have people all the time say, Preacher, don't you feel guilty baptizing little old kids who are six and seven years old? And not at all. Not at all. I think we've tried to make salvation too complicated. But I'll just tell you this, in my 47 years of ministry, I've never, there's only one time when I see young people messed up in life. Only one time. I'm telling you, I'm serious. When a little six-year-old goes through the baptismal waters and he doesn't know what he's doing, and that family stays faithful to God, I guarantee you when they're 11 or 12, they come back and make everything right. You know the only ones I don't see doing that? It's the ones that their parents got hacked off and got out of church. And then that kid grew up from about 9 to about 16, got in all kinds of trouble and everything, and people were saying, well, the church just let us down. No, no, parent, you let your children down. See, you're the teacher of your children. This church is a great church, but we're not responsible for teaching your children. If all your children's getting of God, what they get here at this building, they're starving to death. You're responsible for your own children. Well, there's also a removal of shameful behavior. Verses 8 and 9. We're told to put off. Now ye also put off all these things. And he lists those. Anger describes a deep internal feeling. uh, A a smoldering attitude. Uh, In fact, in Matthew 5, Jesus talks about anger being like murder. It's the same thing as murder. Uh, the implication may be that some people get it's always wrong to be angry, but the Bible says be angry and sin not. There's some times when we ought to get angry. Jesus went in the temple and turned the tables over, and I'm going to tell you, he was angry. But it wasn't sin. 
I want to tell you, it makes me angry this week to see what Hollywood and some of our people that we pay big money to go see, or even the sports figures, to talk about, well, you know, a guy went in that church and shot a hole in all their prayers. Maybe they ought to try something else. That's mocking. I can't believe the Longview paper did it, but they published it this morning. It's on the front page of the paper. If you, if you have not read it, you ought, to, you ought to go buy you one just to read it. Because you won't hear the Longview paper talk about God very much. But this morning, they were talking about Sutherland Springs. The author was writing the article, and she said, uh, nobody from Sutherland Springs has had a press conference. Nobody's been on a morning TV show. Nobody's even wanted to talk. They said they've been nice to the media, but they've not been forthcoming. And she said the reason is because they're putting their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the same God who has sustained them is the same God that's getting them through this right now. I thought, bless God, that's good. That's good. I mean, my goodness, can you imagine the money you could make if you happen to be in that town giving away stories and all of that and your view? I mean, you, all you got to have is a suitcase and be 40 miles away from home, and you're a specialist. I mean, you know all about everything. It makes me angry. I think the Lord got angry on some things. Now, the word wrath is anger at the next level. It, it's a certain, sudden outburst of anger. It's like a flame of fire which shoots up. I, I had a, I've got an evangelist friend. He's still in evangelism. You don't know him. He's never been here. So don't think it's Brother Herman, but this, this, uh, this, this friend was doing a revival in Tyler. Back, it was back in the 80s. And uh, the preacher at the church said, you know, we don't, we don't take up very much offering. He said, I don't, I don't care. I don't say a thing about money. I don't, I, I don't care. Whatever the offering is, that's what I'll take. That's it, period. Well, man, God came down in that place and revival broke loose and they had a tremendous offering. The pastor and the deacons got together and said, look, we can't give this guy all of this. I mean, we've said we were, but we can't give him all of this. So they made a motion to put up a neon sign. That evangelist to this day, he'll tell you, when he goes around the loop in Tyler, he prays that thing will short out. <laughs> now that's, that's just kind of anger, kind of muffled under there, you know. So then he talks about outward hypocrisy, the word blasphemy. It's got twofold meaning. It was uh, associated with the word slander. When the speech was directed toward a person, it was called slander. When the speech was directed toward God, it was called blasphemy. He said, put those things off. Filthy communication. That, that's, that's talking about being foul-mouthed. You know, uh, some of the guys that I thought were foul-mouthed when I was growing up, out in the sawmill and all, well, they were like angels to what I hear people saying today. On television and on Facebook. Some of y'all really need to watch that. Mm. Verse 9, we're not to lie to one another. That's the Greek word pseudo there. It means uh, it, it, it described an actor that wore a mask. We're not to do that. We're not to put on a mask and come to church and say, hey, and, and then, you know, if I 
If I had a, a quarter every time a young person sat across my desk when I was in youth ministry and said, Brother Charles, you don't know, but the man you think so great and the man that's praying down there at the offering and the man that's so wonderful in church, he's not that way at home. That's called hypocrisy. All of these matters are to have no part in the life with one who's been raised with Christ. Now, if you've not been raised with Christ, you can do any of those things you want to. But when you've been raised with Christ, you put those things off. So what do we do? We put on the character of a godly man. <laughs> During the years of the French Revolution, King Louis XVI and his queen, they were godly people. And uh, the, the mobs and all didn't like them at all. And literally had them brought up and had their heads chopped off in downtown Paris. And then while they were there at that, one of them in the mob cried out, let's get the prince. Now the prince is six years old. Let's get the prince. So they get the young man and he's standing there just shuddering and they put the black thing over his head and, and then somebody hauls out in the cry and it says, look, let's don't kill him. That's too good for royalty. Let's give him this, the most wretched woman we can think of. And let her teach him the sinful and shameful things of life. And let him go up, grow up and go to hell. That's what he deserves. So they did that. They got a lady by the name of Meg. She was a back street, just a prostitute. And just, a, you know. And she would try to teach him the things of of the world, the sin, and, and all of that. And that little old six-year-old boy would stomp his feet, clench his fist, and say, I will not say things like that. I'll not do things like that. I was born to be a king. I'm a child of the king. Brother, some of us need to get a hold of that today. I'll not do that because I'm a child of the king. Put on the godliness. Uh, Every Christian is a child of the king. He's a prince of heaven. And Paul says we ought to talk like it, we ought to think like it, we ought to act like it, we ought to live like it. We've been exhorted to remove and put off the corruption. Now we're exhorted to put on the character of a godly man. Taking off of one garment and putting on another was symbolic of having laid aside your position to take up a new position. And that's what you're doing with Jesus Christ. Our new wardrobe is given to us. The moment we accept Christ, we get that new wardrobe. I'm so glad you don't have to go to Dillard's to purchase it. I, I've got to, my wife said, let's go to Dillard's last night. And I said, baby, let's don't go to Dillard's. I just, I just about to, I've lost my overcoat. I don't know where in the world it is. Uh, and it was a brand new one. Uh, I don't know, have no idea. If, if one of y'all have stolen it, would you bring it back and... and let me have my overcoat so I can go to Branson and enjoy the weather this week. But, but you don't have to go to Dillard's to get it. God gives it to you. The moment you're saved, he gives you a new wardrobe. The source of godly character. 
Verses 10 and 11, Paul reminds us from whence godly character originates. After we change our spiritual clothes and put off the old man, we're to put on the new man, which is renewed, the Bible says, in knowledge after the image of him that created him, where there's neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision, uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. The old man is the is a old nature of sin. The new man is the new nature of Christ. And the new nature is God's gift, uh, spiritual power through Jesus Christ. It overcomes. It opens us up so that we can overcome sin. The idea is that once we put off the old nature, we put on the new nature. And that life in Christ ought to be uh, the, the, the theme of our life. R.H. Linsky wrote this. The old man is not converted. He cannot be. He is not renewed. He will not be. He can only be replaced by the new man. See, some of you sitting here this morning, you've made New Year's resolutions, and you've said, I'm going to do better. I'm telling you, I'm going to do better. And I'm going to tell you, you're never going to do better. Because what you need is not a renewal. What you need is, is to be replaced by the new man. By coming and putting off the old man and putting on the new man. The old nature is the unregenerate man. The new nature is regenerate. Then there's a course of godly character and we're almost through. We're saved by the grace of God and we've partaken of that divine life. Verse 12 says, uh, Put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, omelets of mind, meekness, long-suffering. I won't go through all those because you, you understand what they mean there, each one of them. And then in verse 13, Paul speaks of another uh, very generous virtue to be expressed. And I do want to just say a point on this. Listen to what it says. Forbearing one another and forgiving one another, if any man have a quarrel against any. I want to tell you, those are two lost virtues in the lives of many Christians today. Forbearing means putting up with. Hmm, there's some of you here we have to put up with. There's some of us here you have to put up with. <laughs> forbearing one another. Forbearing. And then forgiving one another. Boy, the, these two are closely linked together in the Christian's wardrobe. Uh, in forbearing, we, uh, how am I going to say this? In forbearing, we hold everything back. In forgiving, we hold nothing against. Forbearing one another, putting up with one another. If you're going to be a forbearer, you're going to have to be a forgiver. Now, there's, there's a problem that we've got because most of us don't ever really want to forgive. And we've got forgiveness mixed up. We think forgiveness means that it never happened. Somebody come and say, I'm sorry, don't worry about a thing, it never happened. That's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is getting along with that Christian brother with still the realization that it did happen. But it's not going to hurt your relationship. Because you're not going to hold it against them. Mm. She's not sweeping it on the table. We just think, well, let time as a great healer of wounds. Just let it go. No, it'll always be there. 
You've got to deal with it. If someone's wronged you, I forgive you. And, and look, I'm going to love you, not because you didn't do it or you did it. It doesn't make any difference. I'm going to love you because Christ said I need to forbear and forgive. If I'm not mistaken, I don't know all of y'all in here. I know a lot of you. And I know enough on a lot of you that I guarantee you the nerve of you to hold something against somebody as much as you've done in your life, as much as Christ has forgiven you from, and then you're going to be a hard head and say, well, I'm just not going to forgive them from that. See, forgiveness, unforgiveness is like that acid in that base. The outside looks all right, but that inside will just be eaten out. It'll be destroyed. That unforgiveness destroys you. He's saying all of this so that you can be a proper representative of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why you need to forbear and forgive. It's not so much for the other person. It's for you as much as anything else. I think of a shame-faced employee who was summoned to the office of the president. And he knew he was going to be fired on the spot because years he had been embezzling company funds and finally been caught red-handed. He expected to go to prison. But the president of the company sat there and said, uh, Look, if I forgive you, will you not do this again? Can I count on you? He said, Yes, you can count on me. He said, Then you're the second one that's been forgiven. And the employee kind of looked at him and said, What are you talking about? He said, I'm the first one that was forgiven. And because I was forgiven, I can forgive you. Now, folks, that, that's what we're talking about in the Christian life. Uh, man, have mercy. To be forgiven. We ought to forgive others because Christ forgave us. I mean, you, 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 you want to put yourself upside other people? Mm -mm. you don't want to do that the Lord Jesus Christ I love those words of that song mm. nothing too filthy that he can't make worthy boy what a tremendous truth in that right there I'm asking you this morning if you've never met Jesus as your savior today would you come down this front aisle here I'm going to ask brother Allen if he'll join me up uh, uh, Brother Jason is going to Arkansas in a funeral, and then Brother Case is out today in a in Dallas in a uh, child dedication. So it's just me, Brother Allen, if you'll join me. But if you 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 would be honest and say this morning, I I don't I don't have a relationship with Jesus. That's why maybe I'm having a hard time forgiving. See, if you're trying to live like a Christian but you've never got the foundation, it don't work. It won't work. you got to do step one. That's come to Jesus. And then maybe this morning you're here and you say, I know I'm a Christian. I tell you, I know I need to work on these things. Could I just tell you that you can take all the self-help courses you want to and it's not going to help. What you need is the Holy Spirit of God to touch you and just start walking by the Spirit. Put off the old, put on the new. Maybe you need a church home. Man, there's not a better church this side of heaven 
than Woodland Hills Baptist Church. I mean, there's not. Not a better period. Now, we're going to do everything we can to tell you the truth. Sometimes people like it, sometimes they don't. I, I just, I don't want to stand before God and Him say, you know, if you would have really preached the truth, even when it wasn't in season, things would have been different. Father, you know our hearts this morning. You know every one of us in this place. Lord, you know the ones in this place today that really need to be saved. They've put on a mask, making everybody think they're right with God. And yet, Lord, in their heart right now, the Holy Spirit is, is fast approaching them. And they need to be saved today. God, you know the ones who are saved that just need to recommit their life and renew their walk with you. God, would you just move during this invitation as only you can. We, we've done all we can do. So we're asking you to do your ministry and your work. We're going to praise you. We're going to continually praise you for what you've done and what you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen.